0: Hi, you are listening to Fairy and Fantasy Session 13. Today we get to know our hero, Sir Gowan. But first we take a closer look at the Green Knight's little Christmas game. Okay, so last time we'd gotten as far as the entrance of the Green Knight into the court and we were looking some at his his depiction and sort of talking about that. Um, I want to get to, because we didn't even get to last time, the game that he proposes, right? He emphasizes, um, obviously, he's not there for fighting, right? He says, I've got, you know, armor and weapons, which I left at home, and if I were to want to fight, you know, I could have come armed. Not that there's any point, because I could lick all of you without even trying, but anyway, you know, that would be an option if we were going in that direction, but we're not. And he points to what, what, what is uh, the evidence that he's not come to fight? He's not wearing armor, not wearing armor or shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's carrying a yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes, he's, ca- he's carrying a holly bow, right? <laughs> hey, I'm just, this is, see, we're just having fun here. This is all fun. Oh, and this huge axe. Mm-hmm. But even the huge axe is fun in a huge axe kind of way, right? I mean, it's all, like, highly decorated. It's got ribbons and stuff hanging on it. I mean, it's very pretty. And he offers it, of course, as the prize. This is the inducement. Anybody who wants this axe, you know, you can keep it for yourself. Um, You know, after you, you undertake the game. What are the terms that he proposes initially? I want to make sure that we get this exactly right so that we can understand the response and, and what's going on here. What exactly does he propose? Okay? Uh, that he will let anyone come up and do what they want with the ax to them. So either kill him or just poke him with them. And then whatever... <laughs> He, whatever they do, he will do to them in a year. Yeah, let's, let's exchange strokes, right? You take this axe and you get, one, you get one free hit and I won't resist. I'll stand here and let it go. Let's see, this is on page 38. Line 284. For the ikrava in this court, a christmas gaumon. Now hey, let's, let's play a Christmas game. Everybody loves this game. For it Yol yall a new year, and here are yep money. If any so hardy in this who holdes himselfen, be so bold in his blood, brine in his header, that dar stiffly strike a stroke for another, he shall give him of me gift this gizin reacher, this axe that is heavy enough to handle as him leakes, And he shall bead the first boor as bad as he sitter. Okay, now notice the terms. He says, you know, the, the, the game is going to be that dar stiffly streak a stroke for an other. Strike a stroke in exchange for another one. And he, you know, comes again. I shall be the fierce boor as bad as he sitter. You know, I'm not going to put on armor or anything. I, you know, I'm not armed right now. Just like I'm sitting here right now, I'll let you hit me. However... And I'll bear. I I shall bite it. I'll, I'll I'll bear it. But notice what he emphasizes. What kind of person is going to take up this challenge? What is this? What is being challenged here? What does he emphasize about the person who would take it up? Yeah, Brittany. Um. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's okay. I, sorry, I was pointing in a straight line. Brittany, go ahead. Um, be so bold in his blood. Yeah, boldness, right? he 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 doesn't this is a game that is going to require bravery right but it it seems really strange nobody responds right and this is when he then taunts them oh is this arthur's house everybody afraid and and and, and no one's even hit anybody And Arthur responds by explaining, look, the problem is not that we're not brave enough. The problem is we think you're an idiot. (laughs) I mean, what the heck? You're unarmed, going to take a blow from that axe, which is enormous. I mean, your chances of survival are almost nil, and then in exchange afterwards, you're going to hit me back? I mean, it's just—it doesn't process. Like, what on earth is going on here? Now, I don't think anybody quite anticipates what actually happens. But, oh, I know it's all the whole "I'm going to pick up my head and ride out" thing, right? <laughs> oh, I should have seen that clause coming. I mean, I don't think anyone is quite anticipating that. But there's clearly something not quite right here. I mean, it's—I think it's fairly understandable that Arthur and his knights are sitting around saying, "Is—is is this a, is this a trick question here?" I mean. How is this going to work? Especially, again, since he emphasizes boldness. This is not just a feat of strength. Hi, I'm a strange, very tall, and very green person. Um, See if you are, you know, step right up and see if you're strong enough to hack off my head in one blow. You know, free axe for the winner. I mean, that's not the way that he phrases it, though it kind of sounds like that's sort of what it's going to end up being. Right? Can Sir Gawain actually successfully decapitate him in one blow? Hooray! Right? He rang the bell at the top of the thing. There we go. Sir Gawain wins the axe. But obviously it requires more than just strength and the willingness to decapitate tall green persons. Uh, it requires boldness. It requires courage to face, as he keeps emphasizes emphasizing to face a stroke again. I'm going to do the same thing to you afterwards, even though that really doesn't seem likely under the initial circumstances. Yeah? what a probably be Well, you know, frankly, in, uh, in, probably for even modern medicine, a partial decapitation is going to be pretty hard to overcome. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly true. Decapitations didn't always come off on the first hit. Uh, it, it was pretty common um, for it to take a few hacks before we finally finish the job Um, but again that's one of the things that a medieval person would see in the description of the axe right, ooh, with that axe though, blade like that with that kind of heft you know, anyone who like knows what he's doing probably take the head off even of an eight foot tall guy you know, with that axe. Especially, notice, how does he stand to the stroke? He says, you know, I'm unarmed. How does he do it? What's his posture? Here, have my neck. Yeah, he he he, he bends over and bears his neck. Remember, he's got this hair that goes all the way down to his waist. He's got this beard around the front. You know, his, his hair and his beard look like this huge cape of lovely green hair covering his front. And so, so he, he lifts up his hair and bares his neck and leans over. So, I mean, he's, he's making it literally as easy as it is possible to do. Um, he even sort of suggests, you know, the decapitating stroke seems to be almost his suggestion. Right? See, look, here's my neck. Go ahead. Here's the easiest possible blow you can have. I'll help however you like. And I'll stand here and not flinch and not move while you hack away. Go for it. And again, this seems like I mean, okay, what's the what's the deal here? Again, this seems kind of like a trick question. Look at Arthur's response after the um, after the taunt on page 40. Arthur's response on 323, Hathel, be heavenly in asking his niece. And as do folly has has freist, fienda they behove Hothel—that means guy, uh, person, green person. By heaven, your asking is niece. Niece means like simple, F- like, simple-minded, dumb. I-, I think, as we might translate it in colloquial modern American English. Um, and as thou folly has phrased, fiend do they behold us? As you have sought folly, well, you deserve to find it, I guess. You deserve what's coming to you. This is the most incomprehensible, dumbest proposal for a game I've ever heard. You decapitate me first, and then I'll decapitate you afterwards. But, of course, he's perfectly willing to do it. Until Sir Gowan politely steps forward and suggests maybe he should do it instead. Um, By the way, I, I forgot to mention before... You may have been noticing that I'm shamelessly shifting around in my pronunciation of his name. Um, I just wanted to point out that I'm quite unapologetic about that. Uh, Many people pronounce his name Gawain. Some people pronounce it Gawain. Um, I do both because that's more fun. Um, And frankly, I think there's justification for that. Gawain, um, from the rhyming based, uh, poems, especially those which are derived from the French, um, the emphasis tends to be on the last syllable, Gawain, so that you can rhyme it with other things, because rhyme is how, uh, French verse and this English verse which derives from it works, as most of the poems we've been reading so far. That's why when we were reading the tale of Sir Gawain and Dame Ragnall, I was calling him Gawain all the way through that, Um, but here, this is alliterative verse, and the emphasis is on the first syllable, Gawain. Um, he's clearly not Gawain, because the emphasis, the alliteration, is usually on the G, so that's what's clearly supposed to be emphasized. Um, uh, and also, this spelling, you'll notice in the Middle English, also does not suggest a long vowel on the second syllable. We don't usually get the you know, the A-I-N or the A-Y-N. At the end, it's usually Gawain, G-A-W-A-N or G-A-W-E-N, um, not always, but 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 usually, so it does seem in this poem that that seems to be sort of how, it, how we are invited to pronounce it, at least most of the time. So when we're talking about this poem, I call him Gowan, uh, when we 're talking about those other poems, we call him Gawain. Flexibility, that is the way. Anyway, Gowan uh, steps forward to to take the game. What's the Green Knight's response? He lays out the game, taunts them, and Arthur steps forward. We have reason to think this was the plan. That is, that it is Arthur that he wants to have to do with. Because look how he responds to to Gawain. This is on the next page. Uh, let's see. About line 375. Gawain goes to the Goma with Gizern in Honda. So he's taken the axe from Arthur. Arthur jumps up and grabs the axe. Now he's given it to Gawain. Or Gawain. You know, whatever. <laughs> Gawain goes to the Goma with Gizern in Honda. And he badly him himbedes. He bites never the helder. Then carpes to Sir Gawain, the Knecht in the Graina, uh, Reform we ur forwardes, ere we fear pasa. First, e ether they, Hathel, who that thou hatest, that thou may tell it truly, as he trist may. What is what is the Green Knight's first speech to Gawain there? He wants to reform we ur forwardes? What does that mean? Repeat the deal. Uh, Who you? Joe, have <laughs> right. Well, that's the second question. The first thing, say, okay. All right. Well, we need to repeat the terms, right? Let's reform our forward. The forwards. The stuff that came before, right? Let's make sure that we un- that we are. Let's repeat the terms of the deal that we're undertaking here. Make sure that this is all clear. In other words, he sees this is now transferring to a new person. So I have to make sure to re, you know, because we don't want this guy to get off on a loophole, right? And be like, well, I never promised to let you hit me again, right? Arthur did. You just let me hit you, ha ha, right? Um, so no, 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 no. We're gonna we're gonna reinstate the deal, and then he asks, and and of, also you have to tell me your name. Who are you? In gold faith," quoth the god Kneed, "Gwan Hata, that bade o this buffet, quat so befall is after, and at this team a twelvemonth, talk, talk at they another, with what weapon so thou wilt, and with no we ellis on leave." Notice, Gown has actually extended the deal. What are the terms that he emphasizes? What is he agreeing to do? Well, he agrees to come back in a year and not only he <coughs> says that he will take whatever weapon that the Green Knight says and, and be hit with that. Yeah, yeah. Is, I agree that at 12 months from now, I'll come back and I'll let you hit me with whatever weapon you like. It's fine. That's up to you. And also, and with no we, elis on leave, Right? Alone. I, I, I'm, that, that is... You know, one possible loophole of this would be like, okay, yeah, uh, I'll show up and let you hit me, but I'm going to bring my posse. Oh, didn't see that coming. I promised not to hit you. I didn't promise that my posse wouldn't try to hit you while you were trying to hit me, right? <laughs> so Gowan closes this loophole in advance, right? I'm showing you, Mr. Very Tall Green Person, that I know the terms of that you know, that I that I recognize the terms of the deal that you offered and that and I'm going to show you that I'm I'm abiding by the spirit of that yeah yeah by myself you can hit me with whatever weapons you want that other unsware again as i am fairly fine this didn't thou shadriva the green knights response Sort of Gowan. So multi thriva is a very common Middle English idiom or figure of speech. It's sort it's sort of like an unintensifier. So multi thriva means so might I, you know, thrive, so might I, you know, do well in life. It's it's like something that you throw in um, you know, as sort of an exclamation of uh you know not joy exactly, but uh, you know, something you might say when you, like, I don't know, meet somebody you haven't seen for a long time on a sidewalk or something. You know, Aaron, so multi thriva. How are you doing? Right. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an exclamation. So he's 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 heard of. He seems that he's heard of Gawain, and he's surprised and it seems pleased. Sir Gawain, so multi thriva. As I am fairly fine, this dint that thou shalt thriva. He is fairly fine? What do you make of that? Our translation is not exceptionally close there. I, he gets the general spirit of it, but it's a little stronger in the original. Aaron? Is it like I'm, I'm glad you're the one to do this? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that this dint, this blow, that you will drive it. I'm glad that you're going to be the one hitting me. Really glad. And then he emphasizes it in the next lines. Begog, quod the grain knigged. Sir Gawain, melikas, that he shall fang at the fust, that he have fraist hera. And thou hast readily rehearsed, be risenful full true, uh, cleanly all the covenant that the king asked. Notice, you have repeated well all of the covenant, all of the promise that I asked the king. Uh, he, he's here saying that, that I was proposing that to Arthur. That's plainly, was his plan A. But apparently, he loves plan B. Perfectly happy with plan B. Sir Gowan, excellent. Jordan? I, I find uh, some uh, so of that reader really conspicuous, because if things go to for Gowan, then he's not going to be very much. <laughs> it is much. It is a, a kind of a funny expression to use right then. this <laughs> is the really the <laughs> 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 by my living bones, really the eye well, not living living bones. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Especially since we're gonna explicitly mention his neck bones, which will uh, uh, you know as the axe passes through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's I think that's lovely. Um, now but notice after this, after expressing how delighted he is that it's Sir Gawain who's going to be chopping his head off today, um, he's going to, Hi, I'm Sir Gawain. I'll be chopping your head off today. Uh, but uh, <laughs> service with a smile from Sir Gawain. But he also now adds something, right? He says, Yeah, yeah, no, you did a great job. That's exactly what the game was. And then he adds, Saf that thou shalt sicker me, said, be thee trouth, that thou shalt say me thyself, whereso thou hopest he might be fund upon folder, and folk and foch the such wages as thou dale may to die before this doth reach. This is new, he didn't ask Arthur this. What does he add? You've to come find me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A twelve month, yeah, yeah, but at my place, not here. I'm not coming back. I mean not that he would anyway, so far as they could tell. But anyway, uh, or maybe he's never going to leave, right? Um, but anyway, in a 12-month in a when we have our thing, you have to come seek me. And then Gowan asks where, very sensibly, and he won't tell him. I'll tell you after the decapitation. All right. And he jokes about it. That is, the Green Knight jokes about it. Well, you know, if you cut my head off and I die, well, then you don't need to know, do you? And you can just hang out, no problems. But, you know, if it's still relevant in a few minutes, I'll tell you then. And this is not only... Again, one thing that I want to emphasize about this, one thing I think is really important to take away from this is the tone of all of this. Green Knight seems to be really enjoying himself. This is fun. I mean, you know, decapitating people might not seem to us like a, you know, Christmas game. I don't recommend you start any family traditions along this line, but he's clearly having fun with it. Um, And this seems to be one of the things that is putting the people off they don't know how to parse this are we being threatened here are is this are we going to be attacked um by this very tall and remarkably green person and this is why i mean we see this in arthur's response you i think are a crazy person or at least an idiot but all right i guess you'll get what's coming to you but he's just, it seems to be having a heck of a time, the Green Knight. Yeah, Taylor? If he is obviously like something that isn't natural, a giant green guy, and he's very sure of himself, why are they not in the least bit worried that there is more to this? Well, see, it, I, I, I think that that has to be one of the things behind the initial silence. When everyone's like, um, something is not adding up here. Something wouldn't be adding up, I think, if he were a normally sized and colored person, right? I mean, if he were just like a normal looking dude who came in and says, hey, I've got an idea, how about you cut my head off? I mean, they would still, I'm sure, think he's crazy, but he might only be crazy then. This is weird. There's something, again, I don't think that they're anticipating exactly what they see. I mean... Their response when he picks up his head is not, oh, yeah, I knew it, right? <laughs> sure enough, he just picked up his head and rode off, right? I mean, that's not their response. They're pretty surprised when he picks up his head and rides off. But, but at the same time, yeah, there is this sense, we don't know what's coming, but this is not, this is not quite right. Um, but especially, I think, the cues that the green knight is giving are also really strange again he's seems pleased as anything (coughs) is laughing he's making jokes at his own expense here oh well probably my address won't be necessary will it ha 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 right (laughs) i mean what do they do with that (laughs) yeah so what do you take from the description of the decapitation and subsequent eerie events. That is, what, 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 what struck you about that? How, anything sort of emphasized that you thought interesting? What were your responses to the, the decapitation and what happened after? I thought Arthur's reaction after the whole thing was kind of funny. He was like, oh, well, that was exciting. How about dinner? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, Arthur's, Arthur's completely self-conscious, let's smooth this over and laugh about this now moment is, is I think, really, really funny. Um, and a very sophisticated piece of characterization. Um, there are a lot of moments in this poem. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that I think, I mean, that this poet is like a genuine genius, and and, uh, this is a wonderful poem, and has lots of merits. However, I, I think one of the reasons it has achieved the status that it has in the canon is that it is one of the medieval poems that really appeals to modern readers, because it has a lot of touches. It feels a little bit less foreign in many ways, than some other medieval poetry because it has some touches that like a modern novelist would appreciate and would relate to. There are aspects of characterization here that we don't really see all the time in other medieval poems, like this moment in especial. Uh that that moment when um you know Arthur's like, you know, turns to Gwen and he's like, let's laugh. Ha ha keep laughing. Okay, Gwen <laughs> Guinevere over there is just about to faint, right? Um, let's let's yuck it up, and we'll put up the, you know, put up your new axe there, Gowan. You've hewed enough. Har har har. Let's 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 keep. The... I mean, that that moment is really is really interesting, and I think very unusual. Um, it is a very novelistic touch, and we'll see a bunch of those. Um, <laughs> Even the way that we get the descriptions, for instance, of of Sir Gowan and the beautiful lady of the castle at dinner, for instance, and the games that they play after dinner, and we will see um, for next time um, in the long conversations that we get between Sir Gowan and the lady, um, again, some moments of remarkable, remarkable psychological realism and perceptiveness in the depiction of their conversation, which is unusual in medieval poetry, just because it's not something in general that medieval poetry was as interested in. We, modern readers and modern novelists, are thoroughly obsessed with it, Um, and it seems for some people it can be the sole premise of a novel, that is, the psychological realism of dialogue. Um, like let's tell a really long story in which nothing happens, but people talk very realistically to each other. Um, you know, is a kind of thing that modern readers can really enjoy. Medieval readers would not have really enjoyed that kind of story much at all. Anyway, um, it's just a difference in a difference in focus, a difference in interest. But anyway, yeah, there there are those moments which are very interesting, I think, in this poem. But the decapitation scene. I want to go back to that. Marta? Well, I was just kind of struck by how like gruesome it really is. You know, he bares his neck, and then the blade comes down, and then the blood sprays forth, and the bones crack, and it rolls on the ground. It's just really, they go, they have a good time with the description. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, uh, the alliteration is especially fun in the, de- the decapitation, especially in the... In the decapitation line, you know, where we get, and shrank through the sheer grace, uh, shall the hitting tweener. Uh, you know, we get that the alliteration is on the sh- sound as the axe comes shearing through his neck. Uh, and then it hits the ground, and the bit of the brunstale bot on the grunda. So we've got the sh- p- you know, as the axe falls down. He's really having fun uh, with this. With this description. The fire fro the house, hit to the earth. The fail hit foined with her feta, are hit forth rolled. I mean, we get the, the rolling of the head, which goes over to their feet and they kind of kick it back into play, you know, as it, as it bounces over, uh, you know, to, to where the knights are standing and looking. Um, the blood bride fro the body, that bluked on the grain. So we get this. Description of not only the blood spurting out, but also now the contrast of the red blood staining all of that beautiful green clothing and jewelry that we were describing before. <coughs> <coughs> but stithly he starked forth upon stiff shunkes, and runishly he rocked out, there as rank as stonden, lach to his loafly head, and lifted up Sona, and sithen and boas to, to, to his blonk the breedle he, he catches, steppers into a and straight as a lofter, and his head be the hairer in his hond halders, and as sadly the sedge him in his saddle setter, as none on hap had him eyelid, though headless newer instead. He braid his bloke that ugly body that blader, money of him had dooter, but sorry, i can 't even read that with this pretty much. Money of him had duta, yeah, yeah, i 'm sure they did. Many were a little uncertain about this guy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> right, yep, yep, there, this is a delightful understatement in like money of him had duta. be that his raisins were Ada yes, yes, it doesn't really make sense. Um, that ugly body that blada, I mean just <laughs> blood is still like you know. <laughs> you know like squirting up out of the out of the neck of the corpse as he's sitting there in his horse uh at the moment even you know it would be bad enough if he just picked up his head and picked up the head and the head started to talk or if the head started to talk while it was still rolling around or whatever but he just like takes the head and he mounts up on his horse then he just sits there for a minute mounted holding his head and everyone's like huh yeah, and he just sits there casually, you know, as if nothing were wrong, as if he were not, you know, headless as he is. Doch, headless knew, For the head in his hand he haldes up even toward the darest on the daise. He dresses the fasa, and he lift up the iliades, and looketh full broader and mailed thus much with his mouth, as ye may new hera. Locagowan, thou beg great to go as thou hatest, and light as layly till thou, till thou may, luder, fiend, As thou hast hater in this hate in this, hala, this knictes. To the grain chapel thou chose, each charge thee to fodder. Such a dunt as thou sh- hast dealt, deserve it thou habas, to be yeldery yolden on New Year's morn. Now, What do you make of the decapitated head's tone? That is, one might make assumptions, and it's hard not to imagine if you were doing, you know, if you sort of imagine putting this on stage or doing a film version of it, it's hard to imagine the voice of the decapitated head not being kind of ominous. You know, like, you know, do you be like, look, Gowan, be the grather, right? I mean, it'd be. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do you think? I mean, if you didn't know already that it was a decapitated head speaking, would the tone strike you as particularly different from his previous tone? Count. good job, That was awesome. Yeah, my turn now, right? Yeah, to be great, that to go as the haters. Yeah, um, make sure you, you you go as you as you said. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't really distinguish it. A, a very different tone here. seems to be talking like he talked before. And again, I think that contrast, one of the things which has made this scene so eerie all the way through has been the contrast between the Green Knight's, like what exactly he's proposing, and the tone and everything, you know, like this, like what? You know, just this strange sort of clashing set of cues here what exactly is going on he's actually is he suicidal he doesn't sound suicidal what's happening here and now here i mean i think we can see a similar almost perhaps playful tone still um i mean he speaks a little more sternly there at the end for thee may for to finda, if thou fristest, filest thou never; therefore come, or the recreant, be called they behoves. You know, come, find me, or be called recreant. It's not that you couldn't do this, you know, with you know, heavily ominous speech, with some kind of distorted voice from the decapitated head. But I don't know. With a runish root, the reinas he tornas, hollered out at the hall door, his head in his hand, that the fear of the flint flow fro... Bleh, too many apps. Got tangled up. I'll come in again. That the fear of the flint flow fro fall hovers, to quat kith he become, canoe non therea, never more than they wist, from Quethan he was wonen. What then? The king and Gawantara, at that grain they lauch and grena Yet brave it was it full bar, a marvel among the men. Um, and it's in the next line that he's letting no semblant be sayna, but say the full chia to the komlich queen with curte speech. Da, dera dama, today, the may you never. He's really freaked out by this, but he's not letting it show. And instead he is saying winsome things to the queen. Um, One of the interesting things, I think, there at the end of the scene is the fact that they're kind of just connecting it to the, begin- to the beginning of the scene, right? And he goes, where? well, nobody knows where he went. Well, but just as nobody knew where he came from in the first place. Guy leaving on horseback, holding his head by the hair. I mean, only slightly less weird anyway than huge eight-foot green guy walking in the door. I mean, it was weird the first time, it was a little weirder the second time, but really, same category of weirdness. And they both, Arthur and Gowan, respond by laughing, laughing and grinning. That was awesome. Do you see him pick up his head? (laughs) Yep. Sure was a marvel, wasn't it? Now, of course, the tone shifts as we look towards next year, right? Uh, When most of the year passes and Sir Gowan decides he's got to go find this green chapel. How does the court respond? Yeah, they're really sad. I mean, he's, here's, here's Gowan going to his death, right? Very sad. They urge him not to go. Does Gowan ever hesitate? Does he, do we see him, like, debating, oh, should I do it, should I not do it? No, not really. No, he, he's pretty resolute about it. Um, and that seems to be pretty genuine. Remember his reaction when he's talking with his host the knight of the castle that he ends up with for Christmas, right? And he tells him, you know, the next morning he's like, oh, you should stay, and Gowan's like, I wish I could. I'm sorry, I've, I've got to go and be decapitated, and I still don't know where the Green Chapel is. And the knight says, oh, "Oh, the Green Chapel? Yeah, it's like two miles away. No problem. Just stay on, and then you know you can leave on, on New Year's morning, and you'll be there by lunchtime, right? So c- to keep your de- your decapitation appointment, and, and you know, so you can hang out here in the meantime. And how does Sir Gowan respond when he tells them this about where the Green Chapel is and that it's so close, me?" Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they're very affectionate. Well, this guy, I mean, his host is so jovial uh, and so happy. I mean, yeah, he's like a, you know, really laughy, huggy kind of guy. Uh, and yeah, so no, he's, he seems to be genuinely relieved. Oh, you know, I'm going to be, you know, he's not, we saw in his first reaction, he was not looking for a loophole. Right. In fact, he closed potential loopholes of his own volition in his response. Here, he's still not looking for loopholes. He is not at all being like, well, you know, I looked, couldn't find the Green Chapel. Not my fault, right? I did uh, my due diligence in searching high and low, even went into Wales. I looked everywhere. But, you know, at the end of the day, no Green Chapel. Guess I'm headed home. I mean, he doesn't seem to be thinking in that direction at all. He seems genuinely anxious to find it and genuinely relieved when he's told that it's right next door and he's going to be able to keep his appointment. So, however much he may, in fact, be dreading what seems like his imminent decapitation, he is, does not seem to really shrink from it, unlike the court, who is, now, of course, it's not their honor at stake, right? I mean, they're not the ones who made the promise that they have to keep, but they're sad to see him go, um, They don't want him to leave, but he is resolute. What do we learn about him? We get a a long description of his character and his virtues. This might not have struck you as an especially thrilling stanza in this poem, so I want to make sure to point it out in case your eyes crossed at this time. This is right after the description of his stuff, right? We get his, his really nice clothing and armor, and then we get his uh, shield. What's the device on his shield? Yeah, it's, the, it's a pentangle, right, called the endless knot. So it's a, it's a five-pointed star. I'm doing it really badly in the air, but you know how it goes. My sons can draw them. And the pentangle is the sign of him and of his virtues, right? And we have the stanza, of course, that I'm referring to is the is the famous description of the of Sir Gawain's five fives, (laughs) right? Let's read some. Let's get some five five action here. Page sixty four. Here we are told this is this is Sir Gawain in a nutshell. Line 640. Fierce he was fonden, faultless in his five wittes. That's five number one. His five wittes? The translation there is accurate. Wit means his his senses. So his five, he's, he's faultless in his five senses, his five wittes. And eft file it never the freak in his five fingers. Freike doesn't mean freak, by the way. It just means guy. Like, I, we have a lot of words for dude in Old English and Middle English. Freik is one of them. Faile never the freik with his five fingers. So his five senses are faultless and his five fingers have never failed. Those are his first two fives. So here we have, clearly, we're talking about his body, right? His physical abilities. He is you know, he is a fantastic physical specimen. Very strong, uh, excellent, like, eyesight, apparently. Peerless sense of smell. Um, that's, that sounds great. And all his affiance upon folder was in the five wounders that Christ caucht on the cross, as the Craig tell us. So his, the third five is... The five wounds of Christ. His, his faith, which is placed in the five wounds of Christ. What are the five wounds of Christ? Hand, hand, foot, foot, spear in the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, that, so, so he believes in the crucifixion and the passion of Christ. This is a big deal. And what else? The five joys of the Virgin Mary. And the son. Yes. The five joys that the henda heaven claina had of her child The five joys of Mary. There are different versions of the five joys of Mary. Uh, the most traditional list, I think, is the Annunciation, the Nativity, the Resurrection, the Ascension of Christ, and then her own Assumption uh, at the end. Though, again, that's not always sometimes... There's, her assumption is not in the list uh, and one of the early events in Christ's life is. Anyway, whatever. Why, when does he think about, what is the relevance that the five joys of Mary have to him? What are we told about it? Jordan? Yes. He's got the Virgin Mary on the inside of his shield so that he can see it. Right? It's not the sign that he bears on the outside, which is for everyone else to see. It's on the inside where he can see it. So he can look down at the image of the Virgin Mary while in battle. And this is the context that we're given for the, for the, for the fourth five here. And quersoever this mon in melee was stad. Whenever he's, he's in battle, in melee. his throw thought was in that. Thuch, all other thing is that all his forceness he fung at the fee of joy. He gets all of his force from contemplation of the five joys of Mary. So this is not just sort of abstract, you know, piety on his part, but connected with his success in battle, we are told. And this is why he's got her image painted on the inside of his shield. The fifth five is in particularly interesting. So we've got two physical ones his senses and his fingers, the two spiritual ones, the five wounds of Christ and the five joys of the Virgin, and the fifth five are five virtues which particularly characterize him. Right? Franchise and fellowship, forbe al thing, his clannas and his cortesia, croqued where never, and pite, that passes al pointus. The first four Four are very important, but comparatively easy. Franchise and fellowship are different contexts of being nice to people. Fellowship is meaning friendship. That is, your relationship with your peers. Franchise is your relationship with people who are below you in society. So that is, he is generous to those who are beneath him in society, and he is loyal and friendly with those who are his equals in society. Fellowship and friendship. Sorry, frownchis and fellowship, which is like friendship. His clanness and his cortesia. Purity and politeness, I think, is actually a really good translation of these two. Clanness means purity, moral purity. Remember, clanness I mentioned is the title of the, one of the other poems in this manuscript, probably written, written by this guy. He wrote a whole poem on the subject of moral clanness. And cortesia. Cortesia a little bit more than politeness, but that's still pretty much pretty much what we're getting at. Cleanness and courtesy. And those of you who have read some other medieval literature about cortesia will know that those two things are not always going hand in hand. That is one manifestation of cortesia. Um, is, well, love which is called courtly love. Uh, Love language. Wooing. Usually, almost, in fact, exclusively married people. So, I mean, it's uh, the connection between cortesia and the love tradition, which is well-established by now, um, and of which, you know, to which there were many objections on moral grounds, Um, is an issue. As I I say, cortesia and clanness are not generally synonymous. So it's interesting that he, it seems, is the master of them both. Pite is the most complicated one of them because it can have two meanings. It can mean pity which can mean something like mercy that you show to your foes that you have overcome in battle, for instance, which we see being a very important virtue with knights and other medieval stories. Um, But it also can mean piety. You'll notice that this translator, like many modern readers, prefer the pity angle to the piety angle. But, of course, even if we think of it as pity... um, this should not excuse us from remembering that, two, you know, that forty percent of his fives were exclusively focused on his piety, right? Um, and indeed, the implication is that the first two fives, which are his physical prowess, are in fact premised upon the second two, as his strength in battle comes from his meditation on the joys of the Virgin. Um, and we get the emphasis on that last five. Pite that passes all pointers. This is the most important, the greatest of them all in some sense. This is the virtuous and noble Sir Gowan whom everyone weeps when he leaves and everyone cheers when he arrives. And I love the speech from our jovial host who says that for the rest of his life, you know, his, the whole rest of his life will be better just knowing that he had Sir Gowan as his guest at Christmas time one year. Uh, that is how famous and awesome Sir Gowan is. Um, At the beginning of class next time, I want to be looking at first his arrival at the castle, but then I want to be looking at the second deal that he strikes and what happens after. Um, Enjoy the hunting scenes. If you don't already know how to dismember a deer, you soon will. All right. On to part three of the poem for next time, after which you will know precisely how to dismember a deer with elegance and aplomb. I was also going to say that you should pay careful attention to the scenes in which the stunningly beautiful lady of the castle corners Sir Gawain in his bedroom, but I figured you probably wouldn't need me to tell you that. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.